about it. Next week, if you come as late as you came today, you'll miss part of it. It actually starts at 9 o'clock next week, and we have one service because we're going to have our Outreach Missions Festival, Ministry Festival. Both of those are kind of connected together because we're about doing things that are outside of just kind of taking care of each other. Today we're going to talk a lot about taking care of each other. It's very important, but what that does is give us a chance to actually reach outside of us to take care of others. That's a big part of the mission of God, right? So next week, 9 o'clock, We'll have some discussion in here, and we'll also have uh, some different booths set up in different places. We have food as I understand it. Is that right? Anybody here who still could give me more insight on that? I'm pretty sure we feed you. If not, we don't usually feed you, so you'll have to go feed yourself. It's just part of the deal, right? Right, Becky? Yeah, I mean, it's okay. You can, you're big people. You know how to feed yourselves. But I think we do actually have some food here for doing that event. And there will be some opportunities to connect with some of our uh, people who represent us in other places as we are about the mission of God. Now, today we're going to look at Philippians chapter 4, but as we get in there, I'm going to ask you this question now, and we're going to try to see if we can get a little insight into this question. It's a big question that does not have a small answer. What are Christians good for? What on earth are Christians good for? Literally. What difference do Christians make? I'm going to ask you to stop and think, is it just that we do good? Actually, other people do good too. So it can't be just about that. Is it just that we're nice to each other? It's got to be a little bit more than that. There's hopefully something that we bring to the planet that is about something God is accomplishing that he needs us to do. If not, he could literally have taken us and just pulled us out of here, right? What would be the point of us staying around? There is a point, there's a big point, and we have a purpose. We're going to try to answer that question. Purposefulness is a big deal, so I... Learned some things. I just came back from some time with my family back in northern Michigan. Uh, if you were here a couple weeks ago, I mentioned that my aunt, who was basically a second mom to me for a lot of years early in my life, that she had passed away, or excuse me, that she had found out she had a very aggressive cancer that was attacking her, and they gave her maybe as many as three months to live. She made three weeks. That was it. And so she passed this week on Tuesday. It's a very interesting process. My uncle told me the story as she's very, with great unrest in the middle of the night. And it's three in the morning and she's like, oh, she's frustrated. And she's just like, why won't the Lord let me go? And he said, maybe we should pray and ask him for that. So they did. They prayed together. And he dozed off and about 25 minutes later he woke up and she was gone. It was a direct answer because she was whittled down to nothing. And so we had a great celebration of her faithfulness in life, and we had great times together, but you know it's exhausting. It's part of the deal. But I did learn a couple of things in the process um, in my hotel context. First of all, thinking of purposefulness, how many of you have ever tried to find a, a regular old hanger in a hotel? You know those stupid things that they have with the round thing and the hole and then the stick? And the stick goes in the hole, 
But like, what if you're, so what I wanted to do was put some clothes on a hanger, carry it in my car with me for later that night, and you might, I might as well have been asking for the moon because it was impossible. No place. They had to scour their back in the back corners and, you know, I see things come flying out of there. They're trying to find, a, they found one hanger in the whole building so that I could take my thing. The little hanger with the stick is not useful unless you have the rings hanging in the hotel room. I also learned another thing that was a little more sensitive, but you know, you can ask for a tool that you need to borrow, and a lot of times there's no shame attached to that. You can say, I need a, a hammer. I've got a pound of nail in, or I need a screwdriver because I've got to loosen a, a screw. But when you ask for a plunger, <laughs> there's only one usage. You can't pass that off as like, yeah, I've got to go fix a shelf with this plunt. No, you know. So um, there's that sense of sometimes embarrassment attached to, and that, that was part of my experience. So either bring hangers next time, and then be prepared to maybe bring your own plunger. I don't know it's a suggestion that, but uh, that was part of my experience. It was kind of fun. Now today we're going to close up. We've been in this series. I'm pointing to this image that you see because I see it back there. Standing together, the case for joy, this whole letter of Philippians. If you have your Bible, bring that out, or if you've got it on your phone or an iPad, I'll be using my iPad here. Um, those black Bibles in front of you, it's like back eight, page 832 or something like it. It's almost all the way in the back. And we're going to go to the last chapter and try to glean some things here. So I asked you that question, what in the world are Christians good for? You're going to hear a number of things that come up in here that are actually very important. And that's what Paul's making a case for. Paul's not making a case, I want you to hear this now, and then hear it as we go along. He's not making a case that we just need Christ and we don't need each other. He's making a case in this chapter, and in fact, most of the second half of chapter 3, that we need each other as well. Right in verse 1, we're going to kind of walk through, so keep your finger here or keep it open on your screen of chapter 4, Philippians. Therefore, brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. I sometimes feel that way with these kiddos up here. Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Well, often, in fact, maybe your verse 1 of chapter 4 is actually attached to the paragraph up above. How many of you have that in your Bibles? It's attached up above. Yes. That's pretty common because The therefore makes you ask, what's the therefore, therefore? And you want to know, well, yes, it does refer back up in front, but it actually really introduces this next section. And as we walk through this next section, you're going to say, these almost seem like random ideas. I can tell you, yes, that's the way it reads, but you'll hear a common theme as we keep going through here. Verse 2, I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. These are definitely female names, very common in that time frame around the the Mediterranean in the Greco-Roman world. And these are friends of his. This word is pretty gentle. It is not very, very forceful. Like, get with the program, people. He's not saying that. He's saying, I, I, come on, guys. 
Think this through. Be of the same mind. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side. We don't know who the true companion is, that he's not specifically, that he is addressing, but he engages someone else in the process and says, look, we have been working together, contending at each other's side. The word actually has in Greek has the word for athletic in there. It's a, we are on the same team together, working together. Paul puts these two ladies, just as he had done with Lydia in the very beginning of the story, you remember back in Acts 16, the building of this church? The very high prominence, that was common in their city for the women to be of quite high prominence. And he says, condemn alongside with Clement the rest of my co-workers. Again, this is very much on the same plane, whose names are in the book of life. I'm going to tell you right now the way this whole structure is. Paul is saying, all of us are on the exact same level right here. This is a, a good reference point to set us up for the rest of this discussion. Because he says, guys... Pull together. The word is actually the idea. How many of you have in your translation uh, fellow uh, yoke persons? Does anybody have that? Yeah, several of you do. What's a yoke? Well, you remember the old ox yoke. There was a big heavy bar that went over the necks of two oxen. It had loops in it, so it kept their necks trapped. The big heavy bar pulled on a long pole that pulled the weight of a cart or whatever behind them. If either one of them pulled inconsistently with the other, the thing was a train wreck. How many of you paddle? Anybody paddle on flat water? Flat, nice, smooth water. If you ever paddle a canoe on smooth water, if you get in the cadence where the, first, the person in the front sets the pace, and when their paddle is in the water, if the person in the back has their paddle in the water at the same time as the person in the front, it is amazing how much more efficient. I mean, you can fly on the water. And, and yet, maybe this guy's going real strong, and that person's going real strong, but if they're not in sync with one another, actually, it is not as efficient as the two of you working at about three-quarter speed. It's amazing. This is the imagery here. Paul is saying, look, get on the same page. You don't have to agree with each other. You don't even have to like work out to where you're both of the same exact strength or have the same understanding. No, you adapt to each other. This is the culture he's building in this entire end of this letter. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I say again, rejoice. Uh, this is a directive. It's a command. So why would I rejoice, Paul? Uh, he's been talking about joy all the way through the letter. Why rejoice? Let your gentleness be evident to all. Actually, gentleness, maybe that's kind of a weak, kind of sounds like a mamby-pamby word. That's not what he's saying. He's actually saying let your awareness of each other, your willingness to empty out your own best interest for the other. Remember verse chapter 2? The motion of Christ to come and to empty himself, to become less than. It's not because he was like, uh, you know, just showing us the distance between him and us. He was actually coming to be with us and to join with us. So he's saying, here's the culture of this whole idea. Let your adaptivity be known to all. 
Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Does this mean we should have no concern about anything? Like we should just wander through life and whatever the heck happens, oh, it doesn't matter. I really don't like that phrase, no worries. There better be some worries. He's not saying, "Ah, just check your brain at the door and hope that if you just passively wander through life in the back of the bus, it'll all work out in the end. That's not what he's saying at all. But he's saying don't let the anxiety drive the ship. This word here in thanksgiving has the exact same root as the word rejoice. And the word rejoice and joy has the exact same root as the word for grace. And it also is the same word for character. They're all built off of this root of charis. Listen to this word, eucharist. Does that sound familiar? When we celebrate here at the end of the service today, the Eucharist is a reminder. Actually, the word Eucharist in Greek simply means thanksgiving. All of these are connected ideas. And Paul is saying this is a posture, grace, character, a sense of thanksgiving, uh, gifts for you to use. All these are the same root word. And, verse 7, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you hear that that's derivative? That's an outcome from the posture before? The peace isn't something you go get. The peace happens because of the mind of thanksgiving, of grace, of uh, loving others, of thankfulness. All of this produces an outcome of peace. He's going to mention peace again in just a second. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever... That is very politically correct of Paul. Don't you like that? I was was glad he did that. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if there's anything that's excellent or anything worthy of praise... Put your mind into, put the brain cells into, think about these things. Now, I wish you could hear this in the Greek because it's got a very sing-songy, it it rhymes as it's going across. And it's very easy to pick up. It's not fumbly like whatever is, whatever is, whatever is. It doesn't sound like that. And it's very memorable, by the way. They find lists like like this one all over the ancient Near East in this area, ever since Aristotle, Socrates, Plato, in all truth. It was part of the philosophy of life to find these good things. Listen back through this list. Read it with me right here. Truth, nobility, rightness, purity, loveliness, admirability, things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Does that sound like those are specifically Christian to you? If we go back to what good are Christians in this world? Can only Christians do and think like this? The answer is no. If you were going to say no, you're right. The answer is no. Actually, a number of people think this way. They want to be about this was the code of ethics that was standard procedure for the Greco-Roman world. 
let's be about things that are right and true and noble and pure and good. And Paul grabs a hold of that and says, look, this is true for all of us. As Christians, we should at least be thinking the way that the rest of our society and our culture thinks. The least we can do is that and put our minds into it. Where he changes is when he says, so contemplate this in such a way that how does it line up? Look at verse 9. Whatever you have learned, received, heard, seen in me, in Timothy, in Epaphroditus, and those who have come to you, put that into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Listen to what he just did in the peace thing. First he says the peace of God. This time he says the God of peace. First time you get peace. The second time you get God. That's pretty good. But he's drawing a a clear distinction to take this beyond just like it's the noble thoughts of the world. This is actually practice that actually goes on. And there's a way for us to do this as people of God, that is distinctively different from the way that everybody has it in their mind. The mind is the field that's different. I'm going to keep asking you, what's the difference? Why do Christians even be necessary in a society, in a world, whether that's first century or 21st century? What's the point? The truth is, there is a mindset that's different We're going to get to that. Okay, so we keep going here. And he says, verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. It's almost the exact same word as don't be anxious about anything. So it's like, oh, okay. So now you're concerned. Indeed, you were concerned. You had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, because I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. It's not just a matter of simplicity. Paul is not Buddhist. Buddhism is remove your connection to anything. We don't need anything to mean anything more. Simple, simple, simple. Strip it down, pull away, pull away, pull away. You don't need it. That's not what Paul is saying at all. He's like... I am just as content in my mindset if I am with someone who is rich beyond all riches and I'm going to enjoy it. Or if I am scraping for crumbs in the corner of this jail cell in which I find myself right now, I'm equally content. He's going to give us the secret to that. That's where he's headed. I've learned this secret whether well-fed, hungry, living in plenty, or in want, I can do this through him, or as we often have heard, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. We're going to definitely review that here in a minute. Yet it was good of you to share, to be concerned about my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your um, access or your time in the gospel, your acquaintance with it, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except for you guys. And he's, he goes on, it's not that I needed those gifts, it's really that I want things to be credited to your good word, your reputation, your account, and actually God has an account where I have received full payment, this is mutual, you receive full payment, and I'm absolutely supplied, 
You are amply supplied. Look what he does with these gifts that he sent. This is not like you just sent these gifts to me, but he says they're a fragrant offering and acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. He reminds them of the bringing a sacrifice to the temple. That's in effect what you've done. You've given this to God. And God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. In other words, the accounts are all even and square here. This is not a matter of, now I'm in your debt. It was actually quite common in the Greco-Roman world for philosophers in particular to be very dependent on people who would provide money for them to live while they traveled about and taught their philosophy. And they would write letters literally from a begging position, like, I can't even survive without you people. I'd be a dead man without you people. I don't know how I would have even gone from this city to the next city without you people. Paul does not take that posture because his posture is, this is all God's stuff anyways. But we are taking care of each other with it. Now that's a mindset that starts to lean us into something different. That's not what his, the guy in the next jail cell from Paul thought when he received something from someone who took care of them. To God and the Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters send their greetings, especially those who are of Caesar's household. I could take a whole thing and talk about what it would have been like to be a member of the actual family and the culture of living in the palace of Caesar and being a follower of Jesus. That was Hard, okay. But Paul just, just kind of blows by it. And it's pretty interesting because he's keeping in context, we are all doing this together. Now, I want to go back to a verse. Let's go, go back with me to verse 13. Many of you have heard this verse. It's one of those popular things. You've seen T-shirts. You've seen bumper stickers. You've got posters on walls that say, I can do all things through Christ is usually what's there, right? Through Christ who strengthens me. Now, I want you to, again, what we're trying to do is help you to take these passages and hear them the way they're presented. Was Jesus talked about in this passage? Absolutely, he was. Is Jesus the one who is primarily the, the, the one who is showing concern for and caring for and working together as common yoke fellows and being on the same athletic team and everything else? The truth is no. We insert Jesus there. There's just a simple pronoun there, him. We insert Jesus there, and often we want to, not that Jesus doesn't provide for us, but there's a very good case to be made for the fact that when Paul says this sentence, he's actually saying, I can do everything as long as we all take care of each other. There's an excellent case for that in this language. But we sometimes kind of put things in. It's okay as long as we don't remove the factor of what Paul is actually trying to say, which is we need each other. We are desperately in each other's space to take care of each other. Why does the world need Christians? Christians need each other. Now, does the rest of the world need us? That's the question you should be asking. When, when he's talking about all of these things, 
Does the world need... Well, let me just get you to think about a couple of things. First of all, does the world need Christians to, uh, to come along and to do good things? Well, I think we talked about this for a second. Was it only Christians who have done beneficial things for the planet? You know better than that. Of course not. People have given millions of dollars, millions of hours of time, put a lot of emphasis with no regard or concern for God's plan at all. And they have done very beneficial things. A number of people have done that. If, how many of you have ever been in a Carnegie library? If you've been in a lot, of, especially in the Midwest or in the East, um, there are town after town after town that were millions of dollars that were given by that foundation to build libraries so that people could have access to books without having to pay for them. That was a good thing. It has nothing to do with the Christian mission whatsoever. Do we need a, a sense of God to say, well, we can, we can now live in such a way that what happens around us doesn't really bother us. Can we have, does, do you have to be a Christian to live in such a way that you say, oh, things don't affect me. I can live a laissez-faire kind of life. No, as we pointed out earlier, there's whole religious systems that are built on that to say, well, just sim- simplify, simplify, and that's where contentedness comes from. Contentedness doesn't come from goodness necessarily, and it doesn't come from simplicity necessarily. Here's the secret that Paul's getting to. This is important. Paul is saying, look, this is about the mindset that we have, the posture that we have towards the work of God, the mission of God in this world. Now you say, well, Does that really matter? It absolutely changes everything. Let me describe the idea of image to you. When I say image, what do you think of? You may think of just a like a reflection in a mirror. Yeah, that's that's the basic meaning of it. When I say image in light of our culture, what do you think of? All of a sudden, doesn't the word self go in front of that? Self a self-image, a, a sense of what do I believe about me? What do I say is true? If, do we really think Jesus came to build our self-esteem? Have you ever thought about that? Do you, do you really think that Jesus came to make us just feel good about ourselves so we had confidence, so then whatever happens in the world, we're okay? We can deal with it because we have a good self-image. I see nothing that that's what the message of the gospel and the mission of God is about. Or do we think Jesus just came to like bring the solutions to everything, to fix everything? Is the Holy Spirit here to go around and make sure that we figure out all the best things to make sure everybody's got clean water? We've, we resolved the issue with smallpox in 1979. We eradicated smallpox. Wasn't that a good thing? Yes. Was that the work of God? Well, God surely has that in his mind, doesn't he? Wouldn't that be true? Was that because Christians 
made that happen? Absolutely not. What if we get rid of malaria 10 years from now? Would that be good? Yes. Do we need to be Christians for the eradication of malaria to be good? No. You hear the distinction? The distinction is this. A Christian has a proper understanding of what image actually is. We were given the job at the beginning of creation to bear whose image? Our own? To bear God's image. And what we do is we're supposed to draw attention. We're supposed to see when God is at work. We're supposed to remember. We're the remembering ones. That's a key element in Genesis. We remember that God put us here for a reason. And actually, as you know, we bailed out on that job. Adam and Eve did that for us. They said, no, no, no. We're going to get about the business of making ourselves content and happy and satisfied and everything else. I'm sitting in the airport last night watching. I had some time, and I'm watching people walking by. And I asked this question. I'm thinking, how many of these people right now have considered what God has in mind for the world? How many have considered that? Now, maybe in the political realm they've been asking that this last week, because who saw that coming, right? Maybe, maybe they're freaking out about on both sides of the coin, going, what does that mean? We don't know. But how many of them imagine in their own walk-around space, in their job, in their family, in their neighborhood, in their space, how many of them think about what is God doing here? What is his mission? How is what is happening here redemptive between God and man? After man bailed out on the, the job, the job description, then it was a matter of actually God had to provide a way, and that's what happened when Jesus came. God had to provide a way for us to move back to him in relationship. God's been about that business ever since. So how can fixing malaria be a part of that story? We could get rid of malaria. Stop and think this all the way through with me. If we got rid of malaria and all that happened was people said, Yay, aren't we great? We got rid of malaria. That could be the single greatest distraction from thinking of God. Our capacities, our technology, the fact that, do you think Jesus came so you could have a computer in your pocket? <laughs> this can be such an amazing distraction to make us forget God even has any business going on in the planet whatsoever. Or, right? Or, that's what sin actually is. That's what's a lack of contentedness. That's what is a lack of thanksgiving, a lack of rejoicing, a lack of all of these verbs in this discussion, being concerned for each other, is when we decide we're just going to solve this thing on our own. We don't need no stinking God. How many times does that happen? How many times does that happen in your context? How many times does it happen in mine? So as I sat there, then I had... I don't have a lot of reflections with people who are walking through this airport. I don't have much impact there. But what happened in my mind was I immediately went back and reflected on the last several days with my family, some of whom are devoted followers. 
Christians, as we call them. Some are not. And I ask myself the question, did I keep drawing attention in an appropriate way? Not a, not a beat people over the head with it. Not a passive, oh, don't we all just love each other thing. But did I appropriately draw attention to God's mission alive in what happened in the life of my aunt in their lives as we're talking about their their circumstances their decisions what was my voice what was my posture was my posture to face towards god and to help others face and move towards god as well that's redemptiveness or did i miss those opportunities i have to tell you i missed some The great deal of Jesus' sinlessness was not the monkey business of did Jesus never fail a math test or did Jesus not get mad at somebody when they cut him off in traffic. That's not the issue. The amazing thing about Jesus' sinlessness that he described about himself is, I am always about my father's business. He told his mom that when he was 12, and he told his disciples that hours before he was crucified. And every minute in between, his focus was, do the people around me see the motion of God to bring redemption between him and them? That's Philippians 4. Let's pray. Thanks, Lord. Thanks for this uh, great letter. We have... uh, looked at it, we've dissected it. Many of us, if we've been followers of you for a long period of time, many of us have studied this in many different ways, different foci and different things that we've looked for. But uh, thank you that the secret is actually to be about drawing attention to your mission in the world. That can be done in a million ways. And it's our opportunity. And that's what the world needs us for. Help us to remember that, to stay uh, focused in that, to evaluate ourselves honestly related to that. Um, May Jim have done that yesterday and do it today as he encounters people. May we do it as we go forth. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks.